always a joy to uh, be back at our home church and just enjoying fellowship, enjoying worship together. And love the music here, love the singing, the old hymns, the new hymns. Today we're going to look at various scriptures uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, normally we're in the book of Romans, and uh, that's our normal practice to go through books of the Bible here. If you're just visiting, we normally look at a text and we're going verse by verse through Romans. But usually in the summer, if it's a longer book, like when I preach through Luke for three and a half years, we'll stop and sometimes do special messages. You heard some of those from Frank when I was on vacation, but I also want to take the next few weeks to address an important topic that affects all churches. We're not excluded from that. All churches suffer from this issue of legalism. So I want to just spend a few weeks on that topic, then we'll go back into Romans And Lord willing, if we last long enough and we get to Romans 14, we'll discuss legalism again. But that's going to be a couple of years before we get there. So this morning, I invite you just to get your Bible ready. We'll be looking at multiple passages. This is indeed an important topic. Let me just start off by reading a testimony, uh, really a confession that I found on Lifeway.com. This was by Laura Pethbridge. And she wrote this article. She started like this. Hello, my name is Laura. I'm a grace killer. If there was a 12-step program for recovering grace killers, a.k.a. legalists, I could be the founder. And that is how I would need to introduce myself. It's an embarrassing confession. It's an essential confession. But it's a victorious confession. And a significant part to my voyage is that I spent the first 10 years of my walk with Jesus completely unaware that I was a legalist. I sincerely thought I was defending God and his word. During my years as a legalist, I was knowledgeable in the Bible, and I knew about the Pharisees. I believed I could detect legalism. That's exactly how Satan deceives God's people, she says. Legalism, a pervasion of holiness that masquerades as morality. It can look and feel godly, respectable, virtuous, and beneficial. This is especially true if we're surrounded with other grace killers who cheer us on. The church should be a place of joy. The church should be a place of God's grace being displayed through the members of the church because we've been saved by grace. We didn't deserve what Christ gave us, what Christ did for us. And yet we did receive God's grace. Romans 14, 7 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't you want a church that has joy present among the body? Don't you want to be around people that are joyful, that are happy, that are content? That's what unites us, that we have the same Lord Jesus Christ, who is grace, who is truth. First Peter says, though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The church should be a place of joy. It should be a place of grace to one another. We've been shown such wonderful grace. We should show that to others. We should show that to our friends, to our spouses, to our children, to our fellow church members. Paul says in Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech always be with grace. Not sometimes, but always, he says, let it be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. There are plenty of people who say things to us we don't like, who do things to us we don't like. Sometimes those things are sinful. And Paul says we still ought to respond with grace. And Ephesians 4, 
verse 29. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. It's not just God who gives grace to us, but we're to show God's grace to other people, especially our own family members in the body of Christ. But there's a deadly enemy to this joy. There's a deadly enemy to this grace in the church, and it seeks to destroy both its joy and its grace towards one another. And that enemy is legalism. It's not a small foe. It's not a small enemy but it's rather a serial killer, a serial killer seeking to disrupt, seeking to grab as many people as possible. And it even distorts. Often it distorts the gospel of truth. When we're talking about a distortion of the gospel, of the very words of Christ, we're talking about a serious matter. There's no greater threat really to the unity of the church than legalism. I was speaking recently with a friend of mine who's a pastor in another church and Uh, we were laughing at each other because we thought in our training and in seminary, we thought the attacks would come into the church from things like Arminianism. So we studied up our Bible and got good on Romans 8 and Ephesians 1, and we were ready because this is the South, and we thought for sure Arminianism would be an issue. Then we also got ready for charismatic and the charismatic issues and people coming in talking about prophecy and visions, and we got trained in that. And we got ready for the prosperity teaching that has so affected our country. The prosperity gospel. And we got our arguments good on that. And then we were laughing at each other because really that's not been a big issue. In true biblical churches, you're always proclaiming the truth. You're always talking about God's sovereignty. You're always talking about the true gospel. Really the attack has been more subtle. And we laugh because this is all churches. We all see this. You've probably been in many churches that suffer from this subtle attack of legalism. Now, don't get me wrong. Those, those issues are real. There are churches out there who believe in the prosperity gospel. There are churches out there who don't understand the Bible and God's sovereignty. But we just laughed because we were so off from where the attacks would really come from. The issue I want to look at today with you and over the next few weeks as I preach this mini-series on legalism, uh, before returning to Romans, I'm going to call today's message, Legalism, the Killer of Joy and Grace in the Church. Next week, we'll look at personal, member-to-member type of legalism, Christian-to-Christian. Then we'll look at member-to-church legalism and probably uh, be done there in about three messages. Well, let's define this word. Legalism's thrown around a lot. Sometimes it's thrown at you when you're just talking about the Bible. What is legalism? Number one, legalism defined. Legalism defined. Let me tell you what it's not, because often that's as important as telling you what it is, it's to tell you what it's not. First of all, legalism is not the belief that you need to repent and have a changed life from conversion. It's not that. Sometimes people will say, oh, you believe in repentance as part of salvation. You're a legalist. That's not what it is. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 tells us, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. We're to pursue holiness, sanctification, godliness, without which no one will see the Lord. That's right there in Scripture. That's not legalism to say that we must repent and see a changed life. They're a necessary part of conversion. 
Ephesians 5, 5, for this you know, with certainty no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you. Paul's worried that people will come into the church and deceive others. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on upon the sons of disobedience. So it's not legalism to tell people, turn from your sin, believe in Christ, and then you will have a changed life. And then to look at the believer and say, has your life changed? Have you been given a new heart? Have you turned away and repented of your sin? Also, secondly, legalism is not, it's not an obedience to the commands of Christ in the Christian life. It's not looking to the Bible and just trying to live a God-honoring life. Too often, a person might say, and particularly in our culture, in our southern culture, where everybody assumes they're a Christian, and they come into a church that preaches the Bible, and they say, you know, you're talking about the commands of Christ. That sounds like legalism. That's the wrong use of the word. That's not what legalism is. It's wrongly being used in that case to describe preaching and teaching that just comes from Scripture. Philippians 2.12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, what does Paul say? Work out your salvation. Not work it in. Only God can work it in. Now that you have it, work it out with fear and trembling. He's saying, strive for holiness, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's working through you as a Christian. If you're truly saved, God is working through you and you want to obey Christ's commands. That's not legalism. Thirdly, it's not legalism to focus on pleasing and glorifying God with your redeemed life. If you're looking to please the Lord, that's not legalism. Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all things for what? The glory of God. Whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. He also says again in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. We are pleasing to Him in our Christian life. That's not legalism. Fourthly, it's not legalism to warn others who are self-deceived into thinking they're saved. We all know people who think they're Christians and they're not. And it's not legalism to tell them the warnings in Scripture. The things that they say, that sounds very threatening. You're talking about eternal punishment. You're talking about hell. That's not legalism to just warn them to lovingly show them the scriptures. Maybe even hear a sermon that passionately preaches a text like 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Before you take the Lord's Supper, Paul says, a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Again, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves. Check your heart. Check your life. Test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. It's not legalism to warn others who are self-deceived. And then fifthly, it's not legalism when church leaders or parents set their own policies in certain areas so that these institutions are run in an orderly manner. Teenagers, kids, you can't go home today and say, Mom, Dad, Pastor preached on legalism, and that is legalistic to take out the trash because it's not in Scripture. And you're adding to Scripture, Mom. 
No, that's part of leading. That's part of leading. We all have to make decisions when we're leaders, whether it's family, work, or church. Open coffee containers not being brought in here because of the carpet dress code for ushers, music team dress codes. When parents set a bedtime, when they make a policy that there's going to be limited internet time in the home, that's not legalism. That's just good stewardship. The difference is the parent and the church leader is not saying, you're not a Christian if you bring coffee into this room. See, that's going to be the difference that we're going to look at here. When people start saying, you have to do this to be a godly person. Okay? Good practices are one thing, but raising that to the level of doctrine is completely different. So what is legalism? What is it? We talked about what it isn't, and that's probably more helpful sometimes than just defining what it is. But here's my short definition of legalism. Any misuse of or addition to God's law where a person tries to earn favor with God instead of resting completely in Christ. Now, the main part's right at the beginning. Any misuse of or addition to God's law. That's a really short version. But often the idea of doing that is a person tries to earn favor with God instead of resting completely in Jesus Christ. What is our hope in life and death? In life, in this life, it's Jesus Christ. It's not in the law. The law is important. We've been talking about the law in Romans 3. Before I went on vacation, we looked at that. The law is important. But it can't be misused, and it certainly can't be added to. So that is where we're going to go today and over the next few weeks. We're going to look at this issue of misusing God's law and adding to God's law so that people can try to earn favor with God. By the way, you can't do that. You cannot do that. You cannot earn favor with God by being a good person, by trying to obey the law in the Bible, by trying to obey man's law. You cannot earn favor with God. Christ is the only way that you are going to be saved. That is it. So you have to rest completely in him. Now that's a very broad definition. Uh, we're going to get more specific in just a moment, but that's a broad definition. Essentially, legalism amounts to taking on a yoke of slavery. It's putting a yoke on your back of slavery. We're all enslaved to sin before we come to Christ, but sometimes people who come to Christ want to put a yoke back on their backs and carry it around. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. There's going to be a big push, he's saying. Stand firm. Somebody's going to try to push you into taking on a yoke. He says, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. He's talking to Gentiles, not Jewish people in Galatia. Gentiles. They had a type of slavery that they were subject to. And then here comes the Jews trying to add to that. Paul says, no, no, don't go back and take on a yoke of slavery. Here's how Phil Johnson uh, described that verse. He said, legalism is the error of abandoning our liberty in Christ in order to take on a yoke of legal bondage and the hope that this will earn merit or gain favor with God. Give me that yoke again. You read the Bible, the Pharisees are always laying a yoke on people and the people are burdened. 
And Jesus says that they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he had a heart for them. He was compassionate. He was gracious. You see, legalism can be very subtle and it can masquerade as godliness because it's, it's often veiled. Here's how John Piper contrasts it with the obvious sin of alcoholism. He says legalism is more dangerous. It's a more dangerous disease than alcoholism because it doesn't look like one. Alcoholism makes men fail. Legalism helps them succeed in the world. Alcoholism makes men depend on the bottle. Legalism makes them self-sufficient, depending on no one. Alcoholism destroys moral resolve. Legalism gives it strength. Alcoholics don't feel welcome in the church. Legalists love to hear the morality extolled in the church. It is subtle. It is hidden. We all, when we get down to it, we all have some legalistic bent that we're trying to put to death all the time in our hearts. It's human nature. It's human nature. Well, let's get more specific. Let's look at the four types of legalism. Four types. And there's more than one because often we just think of one. We think of the first one I'm going to mention. But you need to know all four so you can watch your own heart. This isn't just for that other person. This isn't just for the, the person that you're thinking of who suffers with legalism. This is for your own heart as well. And sometimes your friend, your family member, your fellow church member is going to need correction. They're going to need rebuke. They're going to need the Bible to show them the way out of legalism. And you're that person. You may not think you're a biblical counselor, but that day you need to be a biblical counselor. You need to show them what the Bible says. Now, some only think of one type of legalism. Others say there's two. Others say there's three. Others say there's four. I go along with the four types. I like what Dr. Dan Doriani said in his book, Putting Truth to Work. He described these four different types. I've renamed them. I described them a little bit differently. But essentially, he's the first one in modern times to differentiate these four types. First of all, justification legalism. Justification legalism. This is called save yourself legalism. You are going to obey enough to save yourself. This is gospel plus works. This is the teaching and belief that faith in Christ plus these certain things, whether it's circumcision or whatever, we've seen different attempts to, to add to Christ's work throughout church history. It's Christ plus something else. It's faith plus works to earn favor with God, to earn merit with God. When we base our justification on our own law keeping rather than on the finished work of Christ. You see, there's no resting in Christ with this type of legalism. It's Christ plus what I can do. I'm going to add something. Yeah, Christ got the ball rolling, but I got to add to it. This is heretical teaching, and it's a damnable doctrine. Damnable because it damns people to hell. The church has always considered this heretical teaching. We see an example of this in Luke 18. If you go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18 and verse 18, you'll see this rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus, and he asks Jesus a question, because this was ingrained in the Jews of that day. There was such an emphasis on the law by the Pharisees that people thought they could add to their faith in God, add to their faith in the coming Messiah by doing good works. 
So he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus says, okay, I'll I'll play along. I'm going to test this man. So he tells him, what does he say there? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he's trying to get this man to think about the definition of good. How do you define good? Then he goes on and says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And here's what the guy says. All these things I've done. All these things I've done since my youth. You know, since I became a teenager, I have done excellent at obeying all these commands. You see right there, he's trying to add to what God does in the heart, what God does through God's grace. He is trying to add his own works. So the man answers, I've done all these things. He says he loves God, that he's obeyed God too. He should have eternal life is the idea there. And Jesus tests him again. Give all that you have and follow me. Well, it turns out his heart really isn't towards God at all because he couldn't do that and he went away sad. Now we really see this coming out after, after Christ is crucified, after he's raised again, ascends into heaven. The church starts, the church is going along and this justification legalism comes in. Galatians chapter one, go over to Galatians and you need to see what Paul says about this. It's not just theologians and pastors who say this is heretical. Paul clearly calls this another gospel. Chapter 1, verse 6. Paul doesn't play Mr. Nice Guy. Paul doesn't say, you know, I'd like to come and discuss this with you and hear your concerns and spend the next five years talking about this with you. No, he writes them a letter and he says, I marvel. I'm shocked. I'm surprised that you're so quickly deserting him, that Christ, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You turned away from Christ. You've turned away from God's calling and you've gone to a different gospel, which Paul says is really not another gospel. It's not good news at all. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. They're trying to distort the true gospel. But even if we, Paul says, even if me and my missionary team come, even if an angel from heaven shows up, which by the way, Satan is an angel and he comes masquerading as an angel of light. Even if an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to the gospel we have proclaimed to you, let him be accursed, anathema, excommunicated. That is not the true gospel. Verse 9, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is proclaiming to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let him be accursed, going to hell, eternal punishment. That's what that means. Go over to chapter 3 and verse 10. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. You think you can obey good enough to be saved, to earn your salvation? Actually, all you're doing is showing people and God over and over that you are cursed because you cannot obey all things written in the Bible. You simply cannot. No one has ever done that except Jesus Christ. Well, that is justification legalism. It's when you depend on your own merits, your own efforts, your own rituals to make you acceptable before a holy God. This is Roman Catholicism in a nutshell. Add all of these things that I have to do every day of my life, all throughout my life. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to heaven or go to purgatory. 
I've got to work, 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 work and add to what Christ has done. We're surrounded by it in this area. And you can't be afraid to talk about it. You can't be afraid to say that's a justification legalism and that is a heresy. You don't have to be rude. But there is going to be sermons that offend your family. That's Roman Catholic. Preach from this pulpit. Preach from the funerals that we do. And probably preach from your mouth as you talk to your family members. Romans 3.20 says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. If you love somebody that's your family member and they're struggling with this kind of legalism, you got to tell them. You can't work for God's grace. It says it over and over in Scripture. There's another movement today called Hebrew Roots. Hebrew Roots says we have faith in Christ, but we're going to add the Mosaic Law. And both of those combined show that we're Christians. It shows that we're justified and we're going to obey the law plus faith. Now, often this is the only kind of legalism that Protestants think of. They think of this idea that you're going to obey the law perfectly And that's all that legalism really is. So when these other three types show up, people can say, I'm not a legalist. That's legalism. Trying to obey the law plus faith to be saved. Well, these next three don't deal with justification, but that doesn't mean they're not dangerous. It doesn't mean you shouldn't watch out for them. It doesn't mean you shouldn't check your own heart for them. We all should. They can make shipwreck of your walk with Christ. You might get into heaven someday, but wow, this life is going to be such a bondage, a drain, such a joy-killing, grace-killing life. They can make shipwreck of your walk with Christ. They have one thing in common, these next three do. They're all attempts to measure how spiritual you are by law-keeping. It doesn't earn your salvation But it's an attempt, all three of these are going to be attempts to show other people how godly you really are and look down on them because they don't live up to your standards, your legalism. Secondly, second main one, sanctification legalism. We looked at justification. So now you're saved. Now you've been justified, declared fully righteous by God because of Christ But people start to think, how do I grow in holiness? That's sanctification. And even more so, if I don't grow, I might lose my salvation. That's what this one boils down to. If I don't grow by obeying the law, I might lose my salvation. They say we need to keep the law in order to retain God's favor. We have God's favor because of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. But now we've got to make sure to keep it because we might lose it. We might wake up one day and have done some sin and suddenly God's cast us out. And so we've got to make sure that we are keeping the law every day. That's what they teach. Or in a nutshell, that's what they teach. Sanctification, legalism. It's a teaching found in churches that often deny eternal security. They deny perseverance of the saints. Eternal security means that once you're saved, God will certainly make sure that you make it to the end. He's the one who did it originally to save you, and he's the one who will make sure you make it to the end. Because if you could lose your salvation, you would. You'd throw it away tomorrow. Think about it. How many times have you sinned as a Christian? You didn't earn it to begin with, and you won't make sure to keep it throughout your Christian life. But many churches do not believe that. What ends up happening in those churches and the teachers and the the preachers who preach this 
is that you have to live a very strict Christian life to make sure you don't lose your salvation. One pastor called this falling away legalism. It fails to understand God's faithfulness. It fails to understand God's covenant love, his steadfast love. He's not going to let his people go. He's not going to let them fall out of his hands. They don't understand that. They haven't looked at the verses maybe in scripture on that. Or if it is a teacher, they're just simply not looking and preaching on those verses at all. Here's what happens. It breeds self-righteousness. It breeds self-righteousness in the leadership and in the members. They're constantly living in fear, in insecurity. I can't have that family over. They're going to check out my clothes. They're going to see what I watch on TV. And they're going to tell people, and then I might lose my salvation. If they see my kids running around, screaming, jumping on the trampoline too loud, I don't know what's going to happen. So it, it, it's this fear mentality. These types of churches, you show up, you're going to know it. After the church is over, everybody's gone in about five minutes. You're not going to hang around and talk to people a long time because there's so much insecurity, so much fear. You never quite know who's watching over your shoulder. It's often found in free will Arminian theology. teaches that a person can lose their salvation. Some charismatic denominations, Pentecostals, Assemblies of God, teach that you have to dress a certain way, practice certain spiritual gifts as proof of your salvation. Where is this found in Scripture? Well, Paul also mentions this in Galatians 3. Galatians 3, if you're still there, go to verse 3 of Galatians 3. It's not just that the Judaizers have come into Galatia and tried to add to the gospel. The Christians in Galatia, they're already saved. They've already been justified. So they hear this teaching from the Judaizers, and they say, you know, I didn't, I didn't get circumcised right when I got saved. Maybe now that I've been justified, I need to add something like circumcision to keep my salvation going. And he says, are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? They've been saved. They have the Holy Spirit in them. That's what started the process. The heart change came from God, the Holy Spirit. And now you're going to do away with that and think that you can add to it by works of the flesh? That doesn't work. Did you suffer so many things for nothing? He's talking about the suffering they went through as they proclaimed the name of Christ and confessed at their baptism. And he goes on to try to encourage them to believe and follow the truth. The correction to this type of legalism, by the way, the correction to justification legalism is the gospel. It's Christ. Preaching grace alone and Christ alone and faith alone and all the solas. The correction to sanctification legalism is John, the book of John, chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, Jesus says, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. Don't we want to know what God's, the Father's will is for Christ? That all he has given me, I lose nothing. Of all the Father has given to the Son, I lose nothing. All believers, all people who are truly saved in Christ, he will not lose any of them, but raise it up on the last day. Again, John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. Now watch this. He says, and they will never perish. That's, that's a good promise. But he goes on, 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I've met people who've grown up in churches like this where there's so much legalism and this idea that you can lose your salvation, and even after they learn the truth, they struggle with insecurity, with assurance that they will make it to the last day and still be trusting in Christ. But Jesus says, no one, no one can take them. Satan can't take them out of my hand. The believer themselves cannot exit the faith if they truly are saved. Thirdly, and this is now getting a little closer to home. We've probably seen more of these throughout our Christian life if you've been in various churches. Thirdly, letter of the law legalism. This one's very subtle. This one sometimes slips unawares into our life. It's often felt before it's understood. It's not something you could just show up somewhere or be around someone like this and know for certain what's going on. But you feel something. You feel oppressed. You feel heavy. You feel burdened. Let me give you some descriptions that other people have uh, renamed this as, and this will help describe it. Joyless obedience legalism. Just do it legalism. It's like the Christian Nike logo. Just do it. You can do it. Grit your teeth. White knuckle legalism. Just man up. Just man up and get after it and obey the commands in the Bible. Here's Dan Doriani. They so accentuate obedience to the law of God that other ideas shrivel up. They dwell on the law of God until they forget the love of God. Worshiping, delighting in, communing with, and conforming to God are forgotten. Sometimes we, we hear so much in the seeker-friendly church and the modern church movement about the love of God, and that's often antinomian. They don't care about the law of God. And so we're all focused on that and aiming sometimes our arrows at that. We forget, though, there's this legalism that's called letter of the law legalism, an excessive conformity to the law. We need to talk about the love of God. The Bible talks about the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God. But if you have an excessive conformity to the law, that all the other Christian attitudes and fruit of the Spirit, like joy, peace, patience, and gentleness, is missing in the Christian life, that's letter of the law legalism. Here's R.C. Sproul on this type of legalism. He says, It divorces the letter of the law from the spirit of the law. It obeys the letter, but violates the spirit. This legalist is not so much seeking to obey God or honor Christ as he is to obey rules that are devoid of any personal relationship. There's no love, no joy, no life, no passion. It's rote, mechanical form of law-keeping that we call externalism. He says the legalists focus only on obeying bare rules, destroying the broader context of God's love and God's redemption and which he gave his law in the first place. It's just an inordinate focus on law, law, law. You hear the sermon after sermon, and it's beat down and it's beat down. Now, sometimes you need to hear a sermon on obedience. We're sinners, and we need to hear that. But every single sermon, Bible study, and even the hymns are about obedience. You know, if every time you go to church, it's trust and obey, and trust and obey, 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 obey. That's letter of the law legalism. Matthew 23. This is the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees had an issue with justification legalism, but they had a huge issue here 
with letter of the law legalism. And Jesus rebukes this. We don't even have time to look at all the times he rebukes them. We'll look at, at some in the next, in number four, and even in next week's sermon. Matthew 23, starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all they tell you, do and keep. They're just preaching the Bible. The Bible's good. The word of God is good. Do what the word of God says. Keep that. But do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and they do not do them. They proclaim the law of God, the law of God, but they don't do the law of God. And they tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders. That is the definition of legalism. Tying up a heavy burden, putting it on other people's shoulders but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Here, take this burden. Take all this law. Carry it yourself, and I'm going to do nothing to help you. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries. These were the little boxes that held Scripture rolls. And they made these bigger and bigger and put them on their forehead. They lengthened the tassels on their garments. Look how holy I am. Look at my tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. It's all externalism. Skip down to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes. These are the super Pharisees, the uber Pharisees here. Woe to you, scribes and the general group of Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy. And faithfulness. There's none of that in their preaching. They're laying burdens on people. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Obey God's law. Obey God's law. But you need to have mercy and love and justice and faithfulness. You blind guides, he says. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Letter of the law, legalism. He has some harsh things to say in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look beautiful, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Well, you look great. When people look at you, you look godly. But inside, he says, you're rotting away because it's all about externalism. It's the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, he contrasts this. He says about his ministry, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Everything we do comes from God. He makes us adequate for our ministry, Paul says, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Now he talks about the new covenant, the new covenant in Christ, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you're going to be obsessed with the law and that's your focus, it'll kill you. Literally, will rot you spiritually from the inside out. You find this type of legalism in many denominations that are Protestant, many evangelistic, well, they would claim to be evangelistic, modern-day evangelicalism churches. They may have the best doctrinal statement on their website and in print, they may be able to point to everything they say in the Bible, but there's no love. There's no compassion. There's no grace. It's just all law. 
Every sermon, every Bible study, every counseling discussion is a beatdown. There's no help. What's the solution to this? Well, we're to practice the fruit of the Spirit. Back to Galatians 5.14. Here's the solution. Because Galatia is rife with all kinds of legalism. And Paul says in 5.14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're obsessed with the law? How about this law? Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't do that, if you continue with this legalism, here's what it looks like. You bite and devour one another. Beware that you're not consumed by one another. The church can consume itself. Believers can consume one another because they bite and devour. That's what legalism does. It makes you look at other people and get angry because they're not obeying the law like you. And he says, you'll bite and devour one another and you'll be consumed. Okay, number four, number four, rules, legalism. Now we're getting even closer to home. Often churches that are following the gospel don't struggle with justification legalism. They preach against that. If they understand uh, God's promises in the Bible, they don't struggle with sanctification legalism. If we love the grace of God and the gospel, often there's not a lot of letter of the law legalism. But here, here is where we're most vulnerable. Number four, rules legalism. This is adding man-made rules to God's law. You're adding to Scripture. It's an excessive conformity to a man-made rule or maybe a ritual. When believers are told they must follow man-made rules rather or alongside God's rules. Usually it's alongside. So no one's going to come along and say, I'm a Christian. And and they probably are. Generally, you might look at their life and, and, and hear their testimony. I think this person's saved. But they're adding to what God says in the Bible. Obey that. Plus, I have these other things that I expect you to obey. Now, it's usually not that clear. You know, they don't have a big sign saying, I'm a rules legalist. And many of us are recovering rules legalists. And some of us maybe still are rule legalists. Simply adding to God's word. The erecting of specific requirements of conduct beyond the teaching of scripture. It's also called judgmentalism. Jerry Bridges calls it judgmentalism. If you pick up his book, we have his book of the month, Pursuit of Holiness. But if you pick up his book, Respectable Sins, This is one of them. It's called judgmentalism. Here's how he describes it. The sin of judgmentalism is one of the most subtle of our respectable sins because it's often practiced under the guise of being zealous for what is right. It's obvious that within our conservative evangelical circles, there are myriads of opinions on everything from theology to conduct to lifestyle and politics. Not only are there multiple opinions, but we usually assume our opinion is correct. That's where our trouble with judgmentalism begins. We equate our opinions with truth. This is all of next week's sermon. So if you're not here next week, well, we'll know uh, what happened there. Next week (laughs) is all about rules legalism. But I want to cover it briefly in about 10 minutes for you. And, And maybe I'll tell you some of my own past with rules legalism. It's seen in Christians who have a critical spirit. A condemning attitude. R.C. Sproul describes it as the type of legalism that adds our own rules to God's law and treats them as divine. It is the most common, he says, and deadly form of legalism. That's R.C. Sproul. 
I mean, he dealt with justification legalism in his whole ministry. That's what he preached against. And here he is saying, number four, rules legalism is the most common and deadly form of legalism. And we'll talk about why that is over the next few weeks. Here's an article on Ligonier, R.C. Sproul's ministry, written by Pastor Nick Batzig. Those who've embraced this form of legalism forbid what God has not forbidden. And they command what God has not commanded. They bind themselves and others to a standard of external holiness to which God has not bound us in his word. This is one of the most prevalent, he says, and pernicious forms of legalism in the church today. It often comes in the form of prohibitions against eating certain foods and drinking alcohol. It sometimes creeps in through personal convictions about parenting and education. Paul dealt with this over and over in the churches, rules, legalism. To the Colossians, he wrote in Colossians 2.20, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, all these things that the world believes and thinks, why, he says, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not touch, do not taste? Why? You used to live under all those systems that told you what to do. Now you have Christ in his word and you're going to go back to that? And somebody's telling you, do not handle this, do not taste that, do not touch? This type of legalist will agree. They will say, you're right, works do not add to our salvation. You're right, works do not protect us and keep us in the faith. That's God who does it. They will agree that we're not to focus on the letter of the law. They will even want the gospel preached more and more. Sometimes they will demand the gospel be preached in the way that they want it preached. So what's the benefit then? What's the benefit to a rules legalist? Well, it gives us a way to feel better about ourselves. It makes us feel holy about ourselves. We're the in group. You know, there's, there's all these Christians, all these godly people that I know, but we are the people who have it all right the thing about rules legalism, it's really nice because we just add the rules that we like, don't we? When's the last time you added your own rule that you didn't like? I don't like to drink, so you shouldn't drink. I don't like to go watch R-rated movies, so if you ever go to an R-rated movies, I'm questioning your Christianity. You watch Star Wars? What? That's pagan. There's another way to describe it. Elevating your preferences to the level of doctrine or law. When you have a preference or an opinion or a conviction, which you should have. I'm going to reemphasize that over and over in the next sermon. You should have convictions on things. When you have choice A, B, C, and you pick a choice, you should pick that choice with wisdom and conviction. But the minute you tell somebody else they must do it to be a Christian or to be a real godly Christian or to be a holy Christian, you've entered into the realm of legalism. Let's look at this in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Jesus lays this out with the Pharisees again. Imagine that, Pharisees and scribes. They gathered around him. They had come from Jerusalem. They had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with defiled hands. Their hands weren't washed. Now look, he explains this, Mark does. All the Pharisees, all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands. Thus observing the traditions of the elders. These are traditions of the elders, not in the scripture. You won't find this in the Old Testament. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash themselves. And they are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. That's Mark's comment right there. 
on what's about to happen. They have added to what God's law said. They said, God has all these things that he says are unclean in the Mosaic law. Well, we will go even further. We'll build a fence further out so nobody crosses this fence and gets into disobeying the law. We will set it up so you have to wash your hands and you have to wash your plates before you eat because some Gentile may have touched them. Or you may have been out in the marketplace touching things that Gentiles touched. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk, not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with defiled hands? They're charging Jesus with not obeying their traditions. And the assumption here is he's not godly because if he was, he would do what the elders of Israel have done for some time. He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. He's not playing nice. He didn't say, let's sit down and have a meeting about it. I want to hear what you have to say. You're a hypocrite, he says. The people, they honor me with their lips. He's quoting from Isaiah. But their heart is far from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the what? The commands of men. That's the issue. Leaving the commandment of God. See, when you focus on the commandments of men, you actually forget about what God says. You hold to the tradition of men. It's a tradition of men. Here's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Do not go on passing judgment before the time. He's talking about ministry and all these different preachers coming through. Don't go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. They're arguing over who's better, Paul or Apollos. Who do I follow? I follow John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or Steve Lawson. He says, you know what? Just follow people who preach the word and God will reward that preacher and that pastor whenever he comes. But here's what he says. I've applied this to me and Apollos for your sakes so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written. They were exceeding what was written so that none of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. That is a key passage for rules legalism. Don't exceed what is written in God's word because you become arrogant and then you just bite and devour. You become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. I follow Paul. How dare you follow Apollos? How dare you? It's all about trying to simplify the Christian life down to a set of rules or moral standards. And it's not just individuals. There are groups who follow these. You can feel like you're part of the group. You can check off all these self-made rules and you can think, I just do the right things according to man-made rules and avoid the bad stuff. And this is what a Christian is supposed to be. To many, these look like some of the most godly, most moral, most upright individuals and families that Christianity could produce. These are the people that often a community loves, a church loves. This type of legalism is subtle. It's so subtle. It can be hidden. It can be hidden behind a veneer of godliness. You know, antinomianism, sexual immorality, for example, or or drunkenness or drug addiction, that's obvious. It comes to a head. You eventually find out about it. They boil up to the top and you see them quickly. But rules, legalism, 
That can sit in a heart and fester for ages. You don't notice it in yourself. You don't notice it in your friends, your family members. I think that's why Paul said in, in 1 Timothy 5, 24, he's talking about elders. He says, don't lay hands on elders too quickly. Don't lay hands on men too quickly. He says, the sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. Some men, you can see that sin. It's right on their face. They tell you about it. They're acting it out. But he says, for others, their sins follow after. Their sins are hidden. You don't learn about them until you get to know them. You don't see those sins until much later. Now, there's other sins that are hidden, not just legalism, but this is one that is often hidden. Now, you might notice some signs. You might notice some signs in your own life and people you know, but often you're gracious, you're loving, and one day it can't be overlooked. So what do you do? How do you deal with it? What's the solution to rules legalism? Well, that's all of next week's sermon. But we're going to go to Romans 14. We're going to go to other passages. The solution in a nutshell is Christian liberty and our gracious Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at. If you're resting in Christ and he's told you you have freedom in this issue, then don't let other people bind your conscience and don't bind other people's conscience. So legalism, it's the misuse or addition to God's law. You're trying to earn favor with God. Sometimes you're trying to look better in front of men. We all either struggle with it now or have in our past. Sometimes maybe somebody gets saved and they never hear any of that legalistic teaching. And praise the Lord, they, they don't fall into it. Sinclair Ferguson said, legalism is almost as old as Eden itself. He says, in essence, it's any teaching that diminishes or distorts the generous love of God and the full freeness of his grace. The essence of legalism is a heart distortion of the graciousness of God and the God of grace. So what's the solution really to all of these types of legalism? The grace of God in Jesus Christ. If you believe that Christ died for you on the cross and you know he's the only savior, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and you believe he was raised again for you on the third day, what else can you do to add to that? Just Lord, help us to live out how you've told us to live in your word and help us to know the Bible well enough so that we can spot legalism when it comes into our hearts and into our life and into our church. Let's pray for God's help in that. God, we do ask that you would remind us often of your grace. Every day we wake up and take breath. We don't deserve it. You could have wiped us out for our sin long ago, but you have been gracious. You have been merciful. You've saved us. Those here who are believing in Christ, you've saved us. We come to celebrate that today in our worship and our Lord's Supper. Help us, Lord, to check our hearts, to root out any kind of legalism and help us to continue to work on it over and over trusting in Christ, being empowered by the Spirit to dig out that sin and get rid of it in our lives. We know that Christ is the one we rest in. Through your grace, amen.